50 days after Easter, God unleashed his spirit. And it was big. And it was loud. And the people didn't know what was happening. But it was good. And it changed them forever. That is Pentecost. That is Acts 2. And what I want to do is I want to tell you today why this day is such a big deal, what it is about, what it was about to them back then, and what it is about for you. So we're going to start the first place that Pentecost comes on the grid in the Bible. We're going to turn to uh, probably your favorite book in the Bible, a place where I'm sure most of you spend vast amounts of your devotional time. If you have a Bible, please flip to Leviticus with me. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 23, because what we see in Leviticus 23 is the seedbed of Pentecost. It's where, where God lays this, this, this feast, this holiday, this, 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 this awakening out with his people. And in chapter 23, we come to something, and it might say in your header something like around verse 15, something like Pentecost or maybe the Feast of Weeks, but, but this is what it says. It says it's a harvest festival. And this is how it describes it. It says in verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Let's unpack it. From the day after the Sabbath when you brought the first sheaf of the wave offering, four key holidays among the Jews that took place in the spring that you'll find in Leviticus 23. The first is this. It's called Passover. It was the day that they remembered that, that God delivered them from Egypt and the angel of death passed over their house to deliver them. And ironically, it was the same day that much later, Jesus would offer himself as a sacrificial lamb, as a Passover lamb for me and you. Second holiday, on the hails of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a day when they would purge leaven from their house and eat like pancakes, basically, for a week, all right? And what they would do is they would remember how God brought them out of Egypt in haste, how something was coming, but it hadn't come yet. And it's an ironic thing that that Jesus, after he offers himself as a Passover lamb, is buried in a tomb, and there's a period of waiting with the expectation that something is yet to come. Which brings us to the third feast that this alludes to. The day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, it's the third holiday holiday in the spring, and it's called First Fruits. It took place on what we would call Easter Sunday, and what it was was like the, the first harvest festival, because as the crops were just starting to grow, just coming out, you know that moment, you know when like the first like berries come on your vine, the first tomatoes, and it's like, it's coming, it ain't here all the way, but it's coming, you know what I'm talking about? They would take some of that, and it says that they would offer it to God, and they would do it as a wave offering. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I get wave offering in my mind, I see like football stadium happening, you know, you, right? Which just seems to beg that it needs to be done today. Would you agree? (laughs) 
so I think we should give God a wave offering here and now. We're going to start at this side, and you've got to go up, and we're going to go that way and back. All ready? One, two, three. And back. <laughs> All right, guys, that was really weird. All right. But what they would do is they would take the first portion of the crop, and actually what the ancient rabbis would say is they would wave it something like this. Now keep close watch. They would take it and go like this. Ooh, and if that doesn't give you a chill, right? And what happens on the Feast of First Fruits is that Jesus raises from the dead what Paul will call the firstborn and the first fruit of a greater harvest to come. And then we come to Pentecost. Called Pentecost because, well, you hear penta, right? Like we know what a pentagon is, five. And how do you make five to the ten? You conta it, all right? Pentecanta, Pentecost, you could hear it in there. It basically means 50 days, the 50-day festival. Count off seven full weeks, seven Sabbaths after the wave, <laughs> after the first fruits. Count off 50 full days, and on that day, present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So if first fruits was like the first tomato on the vine, we got a few more by this point, right? And what this was, was a harvest festival, a way of saying, God, you've provided for me. God, you provided for me, and I'm going to show you gratitude. I am so thankful for what you have brought me, for the way that you sustain me, for what you provide for me. And God, I want to show you that I trust you. And I'm giving a portion back to you. And so this first Pentecost, this harvest festival, was a way of showing gratitude to God, but it was also something more than that. Because it was also laced with anticipation that what we're getting now in our crops and on our vines is just a taste of a greater harvest to come. Now, later on through ancient Israel's history, they, they added another element to this, this, this Feast of Weeks or this Pentecost, this harvest festival, and it revolved around a, a key and pivotal event that happened to them at a mountain called Sinai. Those of you who know the biblical story might remember that after God brings Israel out of Egypt, he brings them out into this desert, and he brings them to a mountain called Sinai. And it's there at that mountain that God, I mean, he comes down. He comes down. I mean, there's fire and smoke and earthquake. Like, God in his power just rumbles the place. And what he does is he gives them his way, his teaching. He lays out the stipulations of a covenant, a promise that he's going to enter into with them, what it's going to mean for him to be their God, and what he is asking of them as his chosen people. Now, let me read 19.1 to you, and keep in mind that if we had Passover and, and, and unleavened bread and first fruits all happening kind of 
50 days before Pentecost, read when they get, or hear when they get to Sinai. It says this, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, the first day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, etc. So first day, third month, off the cuff, how many days? Okay, come on, your math skills are better than this, right? Third month, we've gone through two complete months. How many days have transpired? 60, right? 50, 60, close enough. (laughs) And it was for them. Because what the ancient Jews is they wrapped it in. They said, not only are we going to celebrate this Levitical feast, we're also going to remember on this day, this Feast of Weeks, this Pentecost day, what God has entered into with us at Mount Sinai. Now, what happens there at Sinai gets significant for what we see on that Pentecost day when the apostles are gathered together and they start speaking in the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. Here's a pivotal verse out of the Exodus story when they're there at the foot of Sinai. This is what it says. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock, the enemy. What basically happened was God gathered them around the mountain. They saw the power of God on the mountain. They said, we're not going up there, Moses. You go up there. Moses goes on the mountain. He is literally in the process of getting the Ten Commandments in the covenant laid out, and they go wild. They go wild. It's like when you leave your kids for a week, and it's like, oh my gosh, right? They go wild. They start building golden calves. They start dancing around the thing. There's a a video clip I want to show you. Um, I showed you this once before, but it really captures it perfectly, what it was like at the base of Sinai when Moses was on the mountain. Um, take a look. Here's what we're going to do. Gonna... Come quick. They've gone wild. The girls have gone wild. It was full tilt jungle madness. And it wasn't going away. these two off each other. Coach Carr, step away from the underage girls. Let me help you down there. Whoa! Hell no! I did not leave the south side for this. It was full-tuned jungle madness at Sinai, and it was not going Away. Now check out what happens. Moses comes down. He busts the fire alarm, right? And this is what it says. He gets up and he says, whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And it says that the Levites, one of his tribes of Israel, they rally to him. And they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man, put on your sword. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And about how many died? 
Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, because what we see is God's Spirit poured out, and we see it starting to, to go through the people that are gathered there. And it says that Peter warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, and those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day, on that day when they remembered what happened back at Sinai. And I think of what Paul writes. In the New Testament, I think of what Paul writes when he says, the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. Now, in Acts chapter 2, it says that there are Jews gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world because of all of their holidays, this was one of the big three. It was a pilgrim day. It was one of those days when they would gather to Jerusalem by command of God to celebrate together because it's easy to forget who your family is if you never get together. Am I right? And they would gather there in Jerusalem and the city would swell. It would go from like 30,000 people to 500,000 People. Imagine taste of Chicago descending on McHenry, and you might start to get a feel of what this was like. And these Jews from all over the world are gathered there. And the believers are gathered in this house, and it says that, like suddenly, out of nowhere, on this harvest festival, on the Sinai day, God's spirit is unleashed. Just like Jesus said it would, the promise has finally come. God's spirit is unleashed, and they hear this violent sound, just like, just like they saw at Sinai, ages past. They saw this, this violent sound, this wind, this rush, and it shook the house, and it filled them with the Holy Spirit, and fire came down on each of them, and they went out, and they started speaking in the language of every person gathered there. And some looked... And we're amazed, like, how, what is going on? How can this be? But there were others there, just like there are today, who even when a miracle is being done right in front of their face, saying, no, surely it can't be. There has to be some other explanation. And they said this, they're drunk. That explains they're drunk. Because I don't know about you, when I get drunk, I speak in other languages, huh? <laughs> they're drunk. They have had too much wine. Now listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. He says this. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then Peter goes on to quote this ancient prophet, this prophet who talked about a day to come when God would pour himself on his people. And this is what he said. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is what Peter says. These last days are now. What Joel talked about is now. What Pentecost is about is God unleashing his spirit as promised of old that God is pouring himself out. Now his spirit is poured out on all of you, young and old, men and women, the highest and the lowest, and all who call on the name of the Lord, all Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says that day is now. Because see, that's the real point of Pentecost. The real point of Pentecost and the real point of what Peter gets up and asks that day, what he starts to say that day, what are you going to do here, now, today? in light of the risen Lord Jesus and his spirit poured out before you. You know what? Last, uh, last fall, we, uh, we, we began this, this journey through what we call Jesus' Bible. Um, we would call it the Old Testament. But it wasn't old to Jesus. It was living and alive and irrelevant and active and fresh and powerful. And what Jesus knew that that was contained in these scriptures was was something profound. It was the, the outpouring of a great drama, a great story of what God is up to in this world. And Jesus said that these scriptures point to me. And when we come to Pentecost, we come to a dramatic turn in the storyline, and we see something. That that old story, like we like to call it, isn't actually old at all, but it is something that is unfolding right before our eyes here and now, that God has a story. And here and now, he invites you to make his story your story. God's story is a story that is filled with beauty and drama and and excitement and adventure and risk and challenge and pain and suffering and redemption and victory. And what Peter does on Pentecost is he invites those people to make God's story of beauty and drama, his story of excitement and adventure, his story of of risk and challenge and pain and suffering and redemption and victory, their story, and God invites it to make 
your story too. And the question of Pentecost is, will you make God's story your story or will you close the book? Resign yourself to the fact that your story has been written and walk away from the drama that God is unfolding. Because, I mean, I know, there's some of you here. You look at your life story and you've come to like page 32 and have become utterly bored with it. You've become utterly bored with the story of your life and and, and you've come to a place where, where, truth be told, you're not really even that interested in where your story is going. And if I'm speaking to you today, I want you to know God invites you to give him the pen. To give him the pen and continue writing the story that is before you. And there's some of you here that, let's be honest, your story's a horror story. I mean, there's more fear and blood and guts in your story. And it's left you broken. And if I'm speaking to you, God invites you to see his story arc, his grand narrative, and to remember that the greatest endings often come after the darkest plots. And there's some of you here that I think have just closed the book. My story's been written. I'm stuck with it. Fate has consigned me. My choices have consigned me. My age has brought me to the place where there is no story left in my life. God invites you to open that book again. Because he doesn't care if you're 10 or 85. He doesn't care who you are or where you've been. There are chapters still to be written. God has a great story, and he wants to write you into his storyline, and he invites you to open the book and allow him to weave that story in to what he is doing here. God has a role for you, and it matters. There are chapters unwritten in your lives. And they matter. They matter. God says, I want to write that in to my great story. That's unfolding. It's kind of like, you know, I think of Jesus and I think of harvest and, and Pentecost and harvest fests and I love what Jesus says. He writes this, or he says this. I died, slide. The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God is up to something in this world. And he has got a role for you to play. And that begins today. Now. Man, guys. What has God got in store for you? What is his spirit up to? What is the possibility of what he is churning with you in his grand narrative 
my prayer for you today. The uh, band's going to come back up. And uh, we're, we're going to sing a song. And, and give, give me the lyrics, please. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. Is that not just like mildly frightening? Right? Because I don't know about you, I like to be in control. But when you come face to face with God's spirit, he invites you to do this and give him control and follow him where he is leading and just see what kind of story takes place. Guys, I invite you to rise. My hope today is that this is more than a song lyric but that this becomes a prayer for you. A time of commitment to God for you. That it becomes a vehicle by which you say, Lord, pour your spirit on me. Here I am. Take me. Lord, I'm throwing yourself in my hands and I am petrified. I don't know what this is going to mean. I don't know how this is going to change the status quo, but Lord, I want your story to be my own. Make it your prayer today.